This week we're going to be talking about modern idolatry. And I know I personally, growing up, had a pretty simplistic, kind of naive view of what idolatry actually was. I always thought idolatry was this thing where ancient, primitive, uneducated people would carve their funny little half-naked statues and they'd dance around them and, and sing their songs. And they, I thought they did it because of what skeptics today will refer to as the God of the Gaps. God of the Gaps is this idea that ancient unenlightened people, because they didn't have a scientific understanding of the world, and they didn't understand natural phenomena, they would look at whatever happened out in nature and say, well, this must just be the gods. So if it rained outside, they thought the gods must be sad. Or if it thundered outside, they thought the gods must be angry. Then I actually started to do a little research on idolatry and I discovered that some of the most influential thinkers in world history, including some of the, the best Bible scholars, said that idolatry wasn't just a sin or wasn't just a problem in life. And it's certainly not just an ancient problem, it's the overarching problem of life. It's the reason the world looks the way it does today and the reason humans behave the way we do. For instance, Martin Luther once said, that whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. In other words, what he's saying is, it doesn't matter so much what you say on Sunday mornings. On a day-to-day -day basis, throughout the week, whatever you run to for security and hope and purpose in life, functionally, that's really your God. Another reformer, John Calvin, said something similar. He said that the human heart is an idle factory. Every one of us is an expert from our mother's womb in inventing idols. Even before these guys, one of the early church fathers named St. Augustine said something similar. He maybe said it best. He said, sin and idolatry isn't so much loving bad things and doing bad things. It's loving good things too much. It's loving good things and making them God things in your life. It's loving the blessings of life ahead of the blesser. It's loving created things ahead of our creator God. So how do we get to the point in life where we have rightly ordered loves in our heart? Well, all of the good things of life you have to remind yourself you have to sacrifice for. You have to work hard to get them. And even when you do get them, they often disappoint. Kind of like a little child on December 29th pushing the presents into the corner of their room. You're not fully satisfied. Jesus is the only God that if you get him, he won't disappoint you. He'll actually satisfy you. He's the only God that if you fail him, he doesn't curse you. He forgives you. Jesus is the God that you don't primarily sacrifice for, but he sacrificed himself for you. When I started to realize that idolatry wasn't just some antiquated old concept, but that it was the struggle really of life, it helped me understand a lot more about the stories in the Bible that deal with idolatry and the statements about idolatry. For instance, maybe the most famous section in scripture about idolatry is in Exodus chapter 32, where the Israelites, God's people in the Old Testament, are camped at the foot of Mount Sinai, and they're dancing around a golden calf. Uh, I like dancing as much as the next guy, but dancing around cattle seemed a little silly. Didn't get it. But I started to understand that there's more that meets the eye there. For instance, what was this idol made out of? Gold. The people of Israel had melted all of their precious metals, their earrings, their jewelry, their wealth, and poured it into this false god. And what was it fashioned into the image of? A golden calf. Well, that sounded 
kind of strange to me too, until I learned that in Egypt, where they had originally come from, there was this god named Apis, who was symbolized by a golden calf. And in Canaan, where they now had gone, there was another god named Baal, symbolized by a, a golden bull calf. In other words, this bull calf was a symbol of fertility and power and prosperity. And so what you have here with the Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai is a group of people who are really disappointed with God. They're frustrated with God, they don't understand what he's doing, and so they turn to power and sex and money to satisfy the restlessness that exists in their hearts. Hmm, turning to power and sex and money and thinking that those kinds of things can solve all the problems of your life. My, what an antiquated notion that is. Thank goodness we've progressed so far beyond that. Or am I basically describing the struggles in society today? Or maybe am I even describing the struggles that exist in your own house? How do we get beyond this? Idolatry isn't an ancient issue. It's a, a struggle that each of us faces every day. And so we have to ask ourselves questions like, what is the thing in life that if I lost it, I would feel like life isn't worth living anymore? Or what's the thing in life that I think if I got that, I would have finally arrived. Life would finally be good. I'd finally be happy. If your answer to those questions is something or someone other than Jesus Christ, the Bible says you've got yourself an idol. But don't worry, there's hope. Moses came down Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments in his hands just in time to see the children of Israel dancing around that golden calf, breaking those very commands. But 1,500 years later, a deliverer who was greater than Moses picked those broken commands up and marched them right back up another mountain. This time it was Mount Calvary. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Colossians 2.14 where he says, Jesus picked up the written code that we broke and he canceled it by nailing it to his cross. Because of what Jesus did, one day we are going to sing and dance and have a real party. But it's not going to be around some silly golden calf. We're going to dance and we're going to sing and we're going to party around our beautiful Lord and Savior. It's no secret that we are influenced by the world around us. Now, unfortunately, that means that we're also influenced by the idolatry that exists around us. The problem with it there, the tricky part about it, is that because it's so prevalent, it's sneaky and it's subtle and it's hard to detect. So, for instance, you look at disordered loves in society and in our lives, and, and they come to the surface. It might be normal to obsess about looking good and being thin. It might be normal to overdo youth sports and pour yourself into those. It might be normal to have many sexual partners throughout life in our society today. It might be normal to compromise other, other important relationships with your spouse, with your kids, in order to advance your career. But just because something's normal doesn't mean it's good or right. So for instance, in the 19th century in the South, it was normal to own slaves. In the mid-20th century in Germany, it was normal to persecute and even kill innocent Jewish men and women. Just because something's normal doesn't mean that it's good or right. And because we have common values and common disordered values, it's that much more important that we surround ourselves with faithful Christians who will hold us accountable. You have to have people in your life that can actually speak into your life and whose lives you can speak into as well. This is the reason why Jesus says in Matthew 18, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And the good news here is twofold. 
Not only do you have somebody that will help hold you accountable with any idols that you might struggle with in your life, but if that person's a faithful Christian, when you do struggle, when you fall, and we all fall, that person right away will be able to point you to the grace and forgiveness found in Jesus Christ as well. Embrace your fellow Christians around you. They will influence you positively and you'll both help fight idolatry together. It seems like we're constantly seeing stuff on the news about persecution of Christians around the world. The World Evangelical Alliance estimates that 200 million Christians every year are persecuted for their faith and that number has actually doubled since 2013. And I don't envy anybody in one of those positions. And yet, living in America presents sort of its own precarious nature to Christian life. And the reason I say that is because about 10 years ago, a Christian researcher by the name of George Barna, who researches all sorts of religious stuff, he wrote a book called The Seven Faith Tribes. And in that book, he said that everybody in our country can fit fairly nicely into one of seven different categories. By far, the largest category was people who self-identified as Christians. 79% of Americans, when push comes to shove, if they have to label themselves, will call themselves a Christian. What Barna also found in that data, however, was, was kind of interesting in that only 18% of the people who were polled said that they would be willing to compromise their lives in any kind of significant ways because of their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That means they were willing to sacrifice their time and energy, their, their relationships, their money, their health, maybe even their life itself, 18%. So when you push those two numbers together, the 79% who self-identify as Christian and the 18% who say they're willing to inconvenience their life because of their personal relationship with Jesus, you get 61%. That's the majority of our country. The average person in America is somebody who self-identifies as a Christian, calls himself a Christian, but isn't willing to inconvenience their life in any measurable way because of their attachment to Jesus Christ. Now, we can't do a whole lot about what goes on out there in the country. The only thing we can do is right here. And so you and I have to ask ourselves questions uh, that might get at the heart of our, our idolatry. For instance, have you ever thought for yourself something along the lines of, if I only had blank, then I would be faithful to God. Whatever's in that blank, whatever's on the other side of that if only, that's the thing in your life that God is trying to get access to right now. When Jesus died, he didn't just allow a part of himself to die. He didn't just give you a little bit. He gave you the whole thing, the whole piece of heaven. Jesus died so that as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, we can share in the full extent of his glory. He gave everything for you and me. Just imagine that. Jesus one day was in heaven looking around, had absolutely everything, but he was just missing one thing. And he looked down to earth and he saw you and he says, you're it. I'm willing to sacrifice it all in order to get you. Now, doesn't that seem like the kind of guy that you can trust with every square inch of your life? Ezekiel 14 is a key text in the Bible when talking about idolatry because it explains that it's primarily an issue of the heart. God says in Ezekiel 14:5 that his goal in everything he does is to recapture the hearts of the people Israel. Idolatry is primarily a heart issue. And I think I can explain that pretty quickly just by looking at the Ten Commandments. 
Um, if I were to ask you which of the commandments is about idolatry, if you've ever studied or, or know anything about the Ten Commandments before, you might know the first commandment addresses idolatry. And many people would respond that way. The first commandment is about idolatry. Well, that's true, but it's not complete. Really, all the commandments are about idolatry. And all you have to do is look at the way the commandments in the Bible are bookended. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods. The last of the commandments deals with this thing called coveting. It's inappropriate desires. It's desiring something in your life as though it were God. And the idea is, you shouldn't have other gods, but if you desire something as though it is God, you're going to worship your false gods by breaking all the true God's commandments in between. So for instance, if you have a false god of pleasure, you're going to worship that false god by breaking the true God's commandment against sexual immorality. If you have a false god of social approval, needing to be popular, you're going to break the true God's commandment about bearing false witness, slandering, gossiping, tearing other people down with your words in order to try to make yourself look better. If you have a false god of autonomy and personal freedom and I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life, you're probably going to break the true God's commandment about honoring your authorities. You see, you worship your false gods by breaking the true God's commandments. So the question is, how do you get to the point where you stop sacrificing to your false gods, but you start sacrificing your false gods at the altar of the true God? What you have to do is you have to be honest about it. You have to own it. You can't be dismissive about these struggles and these masters. And then you turn to Jesus and you say, Jesus, you are so much more beautiful to me than all those other things. You are so much better, more loving of a master to me than all those other masters ever possibly could be. And you're the only one that I ever want to serve. That's the only way you'll ever find healing from your idolatry. No one thing will ever love you like that. No one person will ever love you like that. Give him everything and you will be free. You'll be free to love and serve the God who freely loved and served you first. Hey friends, you may or may not know that Time of Grace Ministries is 100% donor supported. You know what that means? We wouldn't be here without you. At all. Thank you. We're so grateful for the ways that you allow us to encourage others with the word of God and if God would move you in your heart to be able to, or to do that again, we'd, uh, we'd be so grateful. Click on the link below and you'll find more opportunities to support the ministry. Hey, what's up everyone? Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace. Thanks so much for checking out this podcast. Uh, we certainly would love this message to reach more and more people. So if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing this podcast, it would bring it to more people's eyes and we pray this message into more people's hearts. Thanks for your support and we'll talk to you soon.